Well, good morning, Kings. Uh, it's always such an encouragement to get to gather together, uh, to be able to hear our voices collectively uh, raised to our Father in heaven, uh, to get to see one another's faces uh, as we worship together. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing through our series in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, to chapter 7, verse 5 today. As we open our Bibles this morning, and read God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just grab one from the pew in front of you. Um, and if you don't have one at home, keep that one with you. We're going to be on page number 44 in that Bible uh, this morning, but uh, we're, we're going to take just a little bit to, to get there. Uh, so let me just pray for us as we open God's Word and begin to unpack it this morning. Father, I pray that you would, you would be with us, that you would speak through me, Father, that you would help our hearts and our minds to be attentive to you, to be focused on you, to treasure your faithfulness to us, even in the midst of suffering. Father, I pray that you would be glorified in and through the proclaiming of your word to your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our main idea for today is, just as Caleb said, that suffering should not be a surprise to the children of God. But when we suffer, we should be encouraged that God welcomes our lament and reminds us of his promises. Again, suffering should not be a surprise to the children of God. But when we suffer, we should be encouraged that God welcomes our lament and reminds us of his promises. Last week, Caleb walked us through chapters 3 and 4, where we saw God call Moses back to lead the nation of Israel out of their Egyptian captivity and to declare himself as Yahweh, the great I Am, giving Moses signs and wonders to show the people that it was the one true God that had sent him. And amidst Moses' four different protests to God that Caleb walked us through, God gave him clear commands on how both he and Moses, through Aaron, were to act. And he tells them to, to gather the elders uh, together in verses 16 uh, to 22. He tells them that he is going to deliver them up out of the affliction in Egypt. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me. We're going to see that refrained multiple times today. Saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that... He will let you go. You shall. And when I give this people favor, 
in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. We see this promise of this deliverance of Egypt there in chapter 3. And then uh, continuing later in chapter 4, verses 21 to 23, the Lord says to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God had promised to Moses and his people what he was going to do and how he was going to deliver them. He was very clear. And Moses, through Aaron, relays this message then to to Israel at the end of chapter 4. And we see a great picture here of the people believing Moses and responding in worship of the Lord their God, who had seen their affliction. Picking up in verse 28, Moses told all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a sight that must have been to behold. Especially for Moses, this man that was so fearful that he was completely inadequate for the task. There was no way that the people would listen to him. He had so many questions for God. How could I possibly be the one that you were going to send? And yet he obeys God. And you can feel the excitement the Israelites must have here, right? After centuries, or uh, depending on the interpretation of the text, at least four generations, either way, a long time, the Lord their God had seen their affliction and promised that he was going to deliver them through Moses. They believe, they worship God, and they are eager for their deliverance. Imagine Moses is probably feeling incredibly confident after this, right? Like he he has had all these questions, and God has told him how he's going to sustain him, and he goes to the people, and they they believe, and he's like, okay, like everybody believed, they worshiped, let's let's go do this, Let's, let's go to Pharaoh. And that's exactly what they do, picking up in our passage today. Picking up in chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they, Moses and Aaron, said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. In verse 1, we see here that Moses and Aaron are faithful. They obey. They convey the message of the Lord. and They deliver God's message to Pharaoh. The phrase here, thus says the Lord, is used... And it's, it's uncommon in the Pentateuch, but 
We actually see this quite often throughout all the prophets. And this is meant to signify that these words are directly from God to his people and that the messenger is not inhibiting these words in any way. And then we continue on in verse 3. We're going to get back to Pharaoh's initial response in just a minute. But in verse 3, we then see, and maybe perhaps due to Pharaoh's initial response, Moses tried to make a little bit more compelling of an argument. He adds in the second half of verse 3, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Now we don't see this in the original commandments. Uh, that's not uh, the only time we see this, we, we see in verse 1 that the elders aren't mentioned being with Moses and Aaron. There's uh, different thoughts on, on why that may be. There's thoughts maybe they, they were actually with them. Uh, they just weren't mentioned. Uh, there's thoughts that maybe Moses and Aaron went out on their own. Uh, we don't know. Either way, it doesn't really change the story. But then here we also see Moses add in this, this clause that if Pharaoh does not let them go, that, that God is going to punish the nation of Israel. And again, we don't see this in Exodus 3 or 4. This is something that Moses seems to, to be adding here, uh, though it's not clear if, if this was something that God told him and it just wasn't explicitly uh, to be conveyed to Pharaoh. Uh, but what Moses is trying to do here is he's trying to compel Pharaoh to let the people go just from a purely logical perspective, right? Pharaoh needs the people's labor. They, they make these bricks. They are, they are the foundation of Egypt's economy. And if, if they disobey God and suddenly somehow all of them fall dead, they're no, of no use to Pharaoh and to Egypt. So even though Moses is, is bargaining with Pharaoh for Israel's eventual liberation, and uh, in this context, they, they both would have understood that that was what was on the table, that though they were just asking for a three days journey, that uh, they were really going to be asking for their eventual liberation and, and freedom from slavery to the Egyptians. Uh, Moses is trying to make this argument, and Pharaoh would have understood this, that having all of those laborers today, even if they are only here for another 30 days, is better than them all disappearing tomorrow, right? He's going to be able to get more from them. And so Moses is appealing to this. But God knew that Pharaoh would not let them go unless compelled by a mighty hand. He had told Moses exactly how he was going to handle this and exactly how Pharaoh would respond. So one important thing to note here, we, we dealt with this uh, last week, we're going to continue to deal with this, is the hardening of, of Pharaoh's heart. Right? God said he would harden Pharaoh's heart, uh, but this is more of a, a letting Pharaoh's already hard heart continue to harden. Right? We see this in, in verse 2 with Pharaoh's response. He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He says, I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. This doesn't exactly sound like a guy that's like, you know, very eager to obey God already. His heart is already hardened to the Lord. So that's, that's worth noting. That our God is he's sovereign over all things created things. He already knew who Moses was and who Pharaoh was. And we can see this in the differences between the responses, right? We see that though he's still nervous and, and being sanctified, that Moses is a man of God. He responds in faith and obedience to the Lord. But Pharaoh questions God's very existence. He asks, who is the Lord? Moses submits to God 
And he does what he does not wish to do because he trusts in the Lord. He's scared. He is nervous. He doesn't want to do this because he doesn't feel equipped. He doesn't feel like he is capable. Yet he submits and he does it anyways. Pharaoh completely rejects God's authority. He questions who he is. And then he doubles down. And instead of letting the people go, he punishes God's people. So we see the stark contrast between Moses and between Pharaoh. We see the difference in the postures of their hearts. So this leads us then to continue on to Pharaoh's harsh response, picking up in verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on, all, on, on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. Notice that, that parallel there. Thus says the Lord. Now we're saying, Thus says Pharaoh. These, these foremen of Israel are saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily tasks each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And then the foremen of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You can feel the, the hatred that Pharaoh has for these people. These words are not mince. They are, they are very sharp and very cutting. He deals incredibly harshly with them. And why? Because Moses had obeyed and, and done what God had asked him to do. Have you ever felt like, like you were obeying God and being punished for it? Maybe you're a newly professing believer who's being made fun of by family and friends. Or you decided to take a job to be closer to the church and, and now in that new job you just have a horrible boss. Or maybe you decided to start giving even more sacrificially, supporting 
missionaries more abundantly. And then out of nowhere, suddenly a major expense comes up. We can relate to what Moses and what Israel are feeling here. It's not that hard for us to imagine stepping out in faith and seeking to obey God and then questioning and feeling like we obeyed you. Why are we now being punished for obeying you? I think that's because it's far too easy for us to have a very finite view of this life and the world around us. I mean, we are finite beings apart from Christ. These earthly bodies will will be no more at the end of our days, yet we're called to view this life and the world around us as God does, infinitely and eternally. Caleb already encouraged us earlier this morning from Romans 8 towards this end, and I, I do believe that having our eyes fixed on eternal glory will help us to have a right perspective of suffering in the present age. That was the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, Peter shares the same belief as Paul when he's writing his epistle, 1 Peter. In chapter 4, our discipleship group went through this this past spring. And when I remember when we were going through it, that uh, this, this passage specifically stood out to us and was such an encouragement uh, to us as we were each dealing with different things. Picking up in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter tells us that we should not be surprised when we suffer, but that we should expect suffering and count it as joy when we share in Christ's sufferings. Look back to to verse 12. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trail when it comes to you. Not if it comes to you, but when it comes to you. Peter understands that as believers, as the children of God, that it is not a matter of whether or not we will be bearing Christ's cross, but that that is the call to which we are called, that we will bear the cross of Christ, that we will pick it up and carry it daily, that we are called to suffering. So Christian, do not be surprised when it comes. And this is such an otherworldly view, right? This is such a backwards way of responding compared to the world around us. When we see the world around us, when, when suffering happens, it's, it's quick to blame this person and woe is me and I am, I am the victim. And yet as Christians, we're supposed to rejoice when we suffer for Christ's sake. So complete 180. And we see Moses display that. He doesn't seem to fully display the, the joy that Peter speaks of, or at least it's not recorded that way. But in his response to the suffering of his people, he does respond in a way that is noticeably different than his people. 
Look at the foreman with me. The foremen cry out to Pharaoh, asking why he is treating them like this. They say, why do you treat your servants like this? And once Pharaoh refuses to budge on the number of bricks, they come to Moses and Aaron and tell them that the Lord should look on them, Moses and Aaron, and judge them because they have made their people stink in the sight of Pharaoh. See, the foreman's response is much that of the world's. They are quick to see, see it as just a one-sided issue. Moses and Aaron are where the blame lies. We're going to point at them and fuss at them and complain about them. But then notice how Moses responds. He turns to the Lord in prayer. And he asks God why he has allowed this to happen, reminding God of his promises to deliver Egypt. And we can relate to the foreman here, right? When something seems unfair at work, is your first response to seek God in prayer or to seek justice for how you think you are being wrong or how someone else is being wrong? And to do so through your boss. And for me, that is often the case. If, if something is not right, I talk to my manager. I'm like, hey, this doesn't look right. We need to fix it. And especially if it's, it seems like a, a moral issue, I still often go there. I am constantly challenged and reminded that I should go to the Lord first in prayer. And then be faithful to go out and to seek justice. But to seek the Lord first, that he would be in control of all things. That's right, we can, we can relate to the foreman here, but Moses is the example that we should follow. We should be fleeing to the Lord, seeking him in prayer first. That should always be our response. And we get to have great joy in that because God welcomes that. He welcomes our lament. If you're not familiar with that word, that, that word lament means to express sorrow, mourning, or regret. And we see that clearly in Moses' words. He has obeyed God, yet things have only gotten worse for him and his people. And Moses seems to have missed this year, but this shouldn't come as a surprise to Moses since God had already foretold this is exactly how things were going to play out. God already knew what was going to happen. And that's a great reflection of how we are so often. We're like, God, why is this thing that you said that was going to happen happening? What is going on here? You... you you should not be letting this happen to me. And God's like, I told you it was going to happen. What are you doing, right? That is, that is us so often. We are like, God, I, I did this thing and now it has consequences. Why is this happening? Either way, God still welcomes Moses' lament. He still welcomes our lament. It's okay to question God. If you are asking that question, is it okay to question God? It is. However, we need to do that carefully. We need to do that not in the way that Pharaoh did. We need to do it in the way that Moses did. We, we should not be saying, who is the Lord? Who is God to have authority? Our response should be, God, you, you seem to have promised this. Maybe I'm missing something, but you seem to have promised this. Why is this not happening? Where are you? What is going on? Help me understand what is the purpose you have for this in my life right now. Moses asked this. He asked why this evil has been done to his people. Why did God send him? He did what God commanded, yet God hasn't delivered his people his promise. And Moses does not blaspheme God or accuse him of wrongdoing, but he expresses his heart to God and seeks to understand why God has not yet delivered on his promises. But that's, that's the real question, right? It's not, it's not whether or not 
God will deliver on his promises. It's when he will do so. And I think that is something that each and every one of us struggles with day in and day out. We are, we are looking forward to eternity and constantly let down when this world delivers on exactly all that is promised to us, that it will be a world of suffering, that it will be a world of lament, of sorrow, that it is a broken world that we live in. And we have to deal with that on this side of heaven. But we seem to, as, as Christians in the church, we seem to so often act confused, like why are bad things happening? We, we're not glorified yet. We're not in heaven. We are in a broken world. Broken things are going to continue to happen. So it's not, it's not a matter of whether or not God is going to deliver on his promise that Christ is coming again, that he is going to finally and completely defeat sin and death. Establish the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more limit, no more sorrow. It's just a matter of when. So Christian, have hope. Look forward to that day and be patient until then. Remember when we worked through Exodus, this is a great encouragement. Remember when we worked through Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 8 earlier this spring, that our God is abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. And so in the, in the midst of our suffering, this is how we are to be sustained. We should be encouraged that God welcomes our lament. And he reminds us of his promises. That's exactly what he does next in chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. We see that refrain again. As God Almighty, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and, and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people, out, people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So we see Moses has, has lifted up this lament in the midst of his and his people's suffering. And he is, he is waiting on God's response. And we, we see immediately that God, God reveals what this timing is, when he's going to deliver on this promise. God, God says in verse 1, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
Here we see God dealing with Moses like a father to a son, patiently explaining to him how things are going to unfold and reassuring him that everything's going to be okay. God doesn't even acknowledge Moses' questions about evil or why he specifically was sent. But instead, he gets to the point of conveying to Moses that he will remain faithful to his promises. God is comforting Moses, and we too can take comfort in God's faithfulness to his promises. Next, we see God convey three important aspects of himself. First, we see God as our deliverer. We're reminded of the establishing of his covenant with Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Again, that's that refrain that we've seen multiple times. And there's this, this quick aside that God says about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had not revealed his name, Yahweh, the Lord, to them yet, that I am. For my research, this is best understood as, as God not saying that they didn't know his name, uh, but more so that he had not revealed himself as deeply as he has with Moses, like he did at the burning bush. And so we're going to continue to see that. We'll see it immediately here. We're going to see it as we continue through the book of Exodus 2. But we see an extra closeness now with God and his people. And just as God had delivered his people from sojourning from nation to nation and provided for them in Egypt throughout the book of Genesis, he's also remembered his covenant to his people to deliver them to the promised land, the land of Canaan, and deliver them from Egypt. We see in verse 6, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. We see God as our, our deliverer. But God could have, he could have just stopped there. He could have said, I will deliver you physically from Egypt. But he goes on to say that he will redeem them with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. He says in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. This is a, a future glimpse of the gospel that we see here in Exodus. And if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, this should actually sound really familiar. Now, we preached the Ruth back in early 2021, and we saw this beautiful story of Boaz taking on Ruth, who had lost her husband, and redeeming her as her kinsman redeemer, the closest relative who was responsible for, for marrying her and taking care of her, taking uh, half of his possessions and giving them to her, making sure that she was taken care of according to the laws as established in Leviticus and Numbers. And there is... Uh, there's a little bit of word study here that's, that's helpful for us. The Hebrew word for redeem here is goel. And the word for a kinsman redeemer was gaal. And if you see these, G-O-E-L and G-A-A-L, they're very similar. They come from the same root, but they, they mean different things, right? Boaz, as any other kinsman redeemers, they were meant to point towards the root, towards goel towards God's adoption of us into his kingdom. But no kinsman redeemer would ever do this perfectly. Any wives in here, ask your husbands how perfectly they lead you. You might not even need to do that. I'm sure the wives would offer that up freely, right? <laughs> husbands are not perfect, uh, especially when 
there's been a husband in the past. There's just all levels of relational complexity that come into that. No kinsman redeemer was going to do that perfectly. But it was meant to be a sign and to point to God who is able to completely redeem us, to be our Goel. So why does God say he's going to redeem Israel here? And it is because they, they need redeeming. And yet God does not just redeem them in some, some removed way and just, just wipe it off. We see the, the closeness and, and the love that he expresses here. The love of the Lord is on display. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. We see the love of the Lord for his people. And then third, we, we see God as our sustainer. And this is going to kind of, kind of cross over a little bit to the beginning of chapter 7 and the end of chapter 6. There's a weird little genealogy thrown in here that we're going to get to. Um, but, but we see God as our sustainer, right? Moses, again, objects to God saying he's a, of uncircumcised lips. This could either be a reference to his speech issues that he's already made known. Or this could be a reference to, uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, his uncircumcision uh, with him and his sons needing to address that, him just feeling unworthy, him feeling unclean, unfit to, to do as God has asked him to. He feels unworthy of this call. But, but God speaks to him and Aaron and, and charges them to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. We see this again. Every time Moses goes back with some type of contest, God either answers his question and shows him how he's going to do what he does, or he just says, you're going to do what I told you to do, right? And so God continues to be steadfast here. And we're going to see the fulfillment of the Lord sustaining Moses uh, after this little brief aside here for the genealogy. So beginning in chapter 6, verse 14, uh, through, uh, chapter, uh, through verse 30, we're going to see uh, a genealogy and then basically a repetition of the end of, uh, of verse 10 to 13 right here, right? We see that again. Now on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am an, of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Right? He's saying the same thing again. But this genealogy is thrown in here. And remember, Moses is the one writing this book. So we have to ask why it's there. And, and the first reason is to specify who Moses and Aaron were, to, to describe their lineage. This is not a complete genealogy. We see this in the genealogy of Christ, right, that uh, there, there are generations that are left out and skipped to, to try and draw, like, a line and to, to make the point clear. So we see, uh, right, with the sons of Reuben, uh, the firstborn, we move through the, the clan of Reuben, then we get to the sons of Simeon, and then we make it to Levi, right? We only get to three of the sons, right? We only make it to Levi because that's who we're going to, and then we're going to drill it down deep there, right? And, and then we get down to, to Moses and to Aaron. Um, it's also worth noting here that Aaron is listed first. This is because he was the firstborn, not Moses. Uh, that's, that's probably where a lot of this feeling unfit for Moses is coming from, right? Like, especially in that, in that day and age. The firstborn was the one who was supposed to be the leader to take charge. I mean, it's not much different today. Like, you see that in little boys, like, the oldest one is just going to step up and, and be the leader normally. Like, that's just the way things happen naturally. So this would have been the same here. It would have been expected that Aaron was the leader, but Moses was chosen. And so Moses is probably still dealing with a little bit of uncertainty as to why he was the one that was called. 
And we, and we see this work. There's, there's kind of a parallelism here, right? We see Moses first, and then we see Moses and Aaron, and then we see all of the genealogy, and then we go back to Moses and Aaron, like this is who that Moses and Aaron were, and then we go back to Moses. And this is to draw out that God is working directly through Moses. That is who he is specifically working through. And though Moses is speaking through Aaron, that Moses is the one that is supposed to be leading the people of Israel, right? And then there's also just the helpfulness that Moses has included here that we can historically go back and check and just see like, yes, this is who these guys said they were. Uh, and in the time that he was writing this, probably was demystifying a little bit of like, where did Moses and Aaron even come from? Like, who are they? It's just giving a little bit of clarity there. All right, so that was, that's pretty much everything on the genealogy. Would love to read through all those names and try to pronounce all of them correctly for you, but we don't have time to do that. So then getting back to God, our sustainer, right? God reassures Moses that he will deliver Israel and give him power to do so beginning in chapter 7. All right, read with me. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And then just to, to give fulfillment to this and to look forward as, as Chad's going to continue on next week. Look in verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. All right, we have, we have talked through suffering, like obeying God, suffering as a consequence of obeying God because we are pursuing something that is otherworldly. We are pursuing the kingdom of God, which is so very different than what the world pursues around us. Suffering as a consequence, being sustained in the midst of that suffering through reflecting on and hearing and dwelling on God's promises and his faithfulness to his promises. But that doesn't do us any good if we don't trust in those promises, right? We see here that God was faithful to sustain. He was faithful to his promises. We're gonna, we're gonna get into that next week. We're going to see the Lord actually begin to act and do all that he said that he would. But first, Moses had to trust that God would actually do that. Right, Moses, just a few verses before, in verse 30, said, Behold, I'm of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And he still seems to be doubting. How, how am I the one that's supposed to do this? But then we see in verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. So Moses evidently trusted in the Lord and was faithful to obey, even though he had doubts and he was scared. He was nervous, he had objections, but he was faithful and he trusted in the Lord. So for you, as believers, these are the things to do, right? To obey God, to seek him in suffering, remember his promises, to trust him. And we, we get to do this and we get to help one another as the church to do this well. 
And Kings, I, I think that you all do a great job of this. I see us encouraging one another regularly, spending time with one another, doing life on life together, helping one another to obey, to work through questions we have about God, who he is. I would encourage you to continue to do that and particularly to do that well with those who are suffering. But if you're in here today and this is not true of you, you, you can't say that you trust God. I just plead with you that you would turn and trust in God. That what we're about to see for Egypt is what you can expect for all of eternity apart from God. That Christ has come. He has displayed the deep, deep love of the Father for us by bearing the weight of all of our sin on the cross, bearing a weight that we never could, a weight that we are looking forward to here in Exodus. That the fullness of God's wrath was poured out on Christ for your sake so that you may have everlasting life in him, so that you may be able to escape the brokenness of this world once and for all, to be able to be glorified so that the end of your days here on this earth would not be the end of your days, but they would be the beginning of an eternity getting to worship the God who created all things. As the band makes their way back up to continue leading us in song, just a few quick points for us to think on. Right, first, obey God. This one seems like the most simple as a believer, right? That is what we do when we turn and trust and place our faith in Christ. We are, we are obeying, we are submitting our wills to his. Second, seek him in suffering and remember his promises. This is this idea of uh, lamentation. I would encourage you to go to lamentations if you are not familiar with what this looks like, how to question God well, how to how to speak to God and, and air your grievances to him. Go to Habakkuk. Go to the Psalms of Lamentation. I would also encourage you as ways to remember his promises, to seek God through prayer. We talked about this in our small group. Just throughout the day as, as you are feeling frustrated, as you are feeling as though you're being persecuted or, or feel like you're suffering, you're just seeing the brokenness of this world. Remember God through song. Seek him through prayer. Read his word daily and be filled with it so that you would write the promises of the Lord on your heart. And remember him through, through journaling and reflection. Even just in having conversation with one another, we can point out in one another's lives the way that the Lord has been faithful to us in the past. And let that be an encouragement to us to continue to be faithful to him as he is faithful to us. And then lastly, trust in him. This becomes easier and easier the longer we are believers. We see this from Moses. Uh, Moses is questioning God constantly here. And then really from this point on in Exodus, we see Moses is the one that's an example of what it means to obediently follow the Lord with the one, exce uh, one exception of him uh, you know, hitting the rock. It's not a bright spot, but overall, Moses' life from this point forward is, is marked by obedience and trust in the Lord and leading Israel to do the same. So trust him. Look to others who help you to do the same well. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would, you would help us to do this well as the church, to point one another to your promises, to speak into one another's lives. Uh, as we endure suffering, uh, the brokenness of this world, as we endure various hardships, Father, I pray that you would help us to point one another to you, uh, to encourage one another. Father, I pray that your word, that these songs that we sing that are so rich in their biblical theology, I, I pray that this would be writing truths on our heart. 
so that we can more readily turn to you in prayer and seek you as the troubles of this world afflict us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand, and we will continue in a time of worship. Uh, thank you, Eric. Um,